0: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held
1: by the Voice America Talk Radio Network,
0: its staff, and management.
1: Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success welcome to the second stage with your hosts Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson in today's program we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve now here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick
2: welcome 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 everybody to the second stage we're excited to have another exciting week of uh Small business best practices, and um, uh, we actually kind of trying something new here. Jeff, you're you're uh, I'm I'm in a home base in Cleveland, and you're far off on the west coast.
3: That's right, Brennan. Uh, this is what we call entrepreneurship. <laughs> trying something new, and we'll see if it works. Uh, but as uh, our listeners know, we both enjoy doing the shows because we get to to uh, speak to terrific guests, and we don't want to miss the opportunity to learn ourselves. And so. Uh, This is uh, our opportunity to try to try to get it fit it all in our busy schedules. Uh, Brendan, last week we had a guest, Jeff DeGraff, the dean of innovation, uh, uh, on our show, and he's been on our show in the past. Uh, What would you think of uh, our guest? Sharp
2: guy. I, you know it's it's uh, it's hard to believe all of the companies that he's been able to work with and advise and uh, it's just you know the, for those of you that uh, didn't get a chance to listen to the uh, to the podcast, please uh, please get, go to the second stage uh, on um, on iTunes and, and download. He it. really uh, it's a you know it's sharp guy. He's uh, all the way up there in Ann Arbor, so we should uh, definitely try to track him down and, and learn some more. but uh, impressive impressive guy.
3: And you interviewed him before, right, Jeff? We found it at www.jeffdegraff.com and also on Twitter, at Jeff DeGraff, D-E-G-R-A-F-F. I'm a follower of his on Twitter, and uh, he tweets regularly and and posts regularly on LinkedIn, and he always has uh, lots of great things to say. Uh, This week, you know, we have another great guest. We've got... uh, author dr. Carl Sheeler uh, I actually had uh, the, the opportunity to uh, read his recent book uh, equity value enhancement which we'll talk about on our show today uh, uh, dr. Uh, dr. Sheeler is a part he is the managing director of the Berkeley research group uh, which can be found at wWw.think B-R-G.com. Uh, he's been the managing director of Berkeley Research Group for about 25 years uh, and brings a lot of litigation expertise coupled with his corporate finance, business, military operations experience, uh, strategic planning, finance, and academic background to address complex risk measurement and management and mitigation issues. Uh, I read his book, uh, Brendan, and it's it's a great book because it really gives you a 360-degree view of everyone's perspectives that's involved in the um, – value creation process, so uh, glad to have him on the show. Uh, Before I get too much further, I always want to remind everybody that each week we want to provide actual advice and have you continue the dialogue through through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear what works and what doesn't we want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs you can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com we're going to take a short break here on the second stage and we come back we'll be with our guest dr carl sheeler thanks for tuning in to the second stage <music>
1: what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
4: This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America
3: Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson.
3: Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. Like any form, this show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. We invite you to continue the discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com. You can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncb.com. Uh, per usual, here on the second stage, we've got another great guest, Dr. Carl Schieler, Managing Director at Berkeley Research Group, uh, and he can be found uh, on the Berkeley Research Group website at www.thinkbig, or thinkbrg.com. apologize for that. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Schieler, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you for having me. It is, it is our pleasure. Um, uh, you know, just as a quick start, I want to say that uh, I had a, the, good, uh, the good fortune of going to read your, your book, The Equity Value Enhancement, and I thought it was uh, a great, great book, a lot of fun to read.
0: Uh, I'm happy to hear that. Um, it, it's intended to be written not just for the technician out there, such as the attorney, the accountant, the wealth advisor, but the business owner that wants to scale their company.
3: And what, what, I guess, inspired you to decide to, to write a book?
0: Um, it's actually a good question. Uh, one of the most common laments that I find, not only from the business owner's perspective, uh, the that of the advisor. The advisor looks at, why is the owner deferring all these suggestions that I'm making uh, to him? Doesn't he or she understand the value, and then the business owner is saying, Why can't they get together and give me some uh, cogent direction uh, that, that I can understand and then follow? And so it, it was one of those things where you, know, you, you combine the chocolate and the peanut butter and you go, Waha! And <laughs> that's what caused me to write a book.
3: Well, what I thought was really interesting about the book is a lot of times you get into these books uh, and, and they end up being very technical. And yeah. I really felt like you spent a lot of time on elements that don't get a lot of attention, which is really kind of the the, the kind of the softer and tangible side of the process and giving perspectives from all the people that participate in that process. Is that what you were trying to, to get at with this, with this book?
0: Well, at least I have one person, that would be you, that has uh, related to me what I was trying to achieve. Thank you. If I was to put it another way, although I, I have an advanced uh, background in finance, the, the point of the book, candidly, is that finance alone isn't enough to get you from here to there. There's the human capital uh, portion, and that means you got to understand what motivates people. How, what their optics are when they're looking at things such as risk and um, how that can create synergies uh, if there's the appropriate environment and the stewardship to make that happen.
3: Stewardship is uh, certainly an important part of it. I had a young guy come in our office uh, really looking for a job and trying to do some networking, and he assured me that he read a uh, A finance book each week (laughs) it's like that's great but you really need to master the human side of uh, the uh, value creation process if you're gonna be any good at private equity
0: Uh, agreed Um, one of the things that we all find uh, it's not just the client that is the only perspective uh, just as a simple example in in the book we talk about what kind of relationship do you have with your suppliers your vendors regardless whether you're in the services or you produce a, a product and commonly it's all based on price okay so i'm getting the best deal the question becomes is how do you leverage that relationship because perhaps just using that as a simple example that if i create a a respectful relationship yeah i might be able to get a concession on price but what what else am i getting and usually the answer is nothing and the answer could be hey you know what i call on one of your competitors they're about 10 times your size i'm not trying to put that in your face but here's what they do that allows them to be so successful without giving any trade secrets you can get some ideas of people that are calling on other clients just like you based on that vendor now what's that worth is that worth a lunch? Is that worth a little bit more Hello. respect? That would be an example of human capital that doesn't usually get leveraged.
2: Uh, so, the, to the kind of the book and so forth, I'd love to know how does a, a person you know, go from the University of Illinois, Illinois to, to, the, Maryland, to the to the uh, uh, Command and the operations, operations center, center and get his PhD? <laughs> how, how do you end, how, how does how do you do? That? How do you end up doing um,
0: what you're doing? <laughs> um, we'll we'll, we'll call, call that a little bit. Uh, uh, obsessive compulsive um, well the good news is that if nothing else the Marine Corps teaches you to be pretty disciplined with yourself and your uh, time and uh, I found that uh, with, with the corporate experience that after I got activated for Desert Storm that I did not want to continue just to work in a uh, corporate uh, space I wanted to have an opportunity to uh, uh, cut my teeth, which was to uh, inevitably start my own uh, firm uh, 25 plus years ago and take some of those skill sets. And then I found in the courtroom, which is back to a point that was made earlier, you cannot articulate something like a professor because many of the people that are there to make a decision for or against the client that's being represented needs to understand what you're talking about and feel like you're talking to them instead of at them. So getting the Ph.D. was really a necessity to get more credibility with the judge and uh, learning how to communicate more credibility with the jury.
2: All right, so so tell me, you were in the Marines. Tell me Correct. about the Command and Staff War College in Quantico, because that, that just, you know, I, I obviously see a lot of things about TV in Quantico, and that uh, that sounds just... <laughs> Fascinating.
0: Um, what, what it is, is it's a finishing uh, school for company and field grade uh, officers. Uh, the, the notion being is, is that, think of it as getting a master's degree in leadership.
2: It, is, it, is it, I would assume if it's there, it has a lot to do with military and, and oh, military absolutely. planning?
0: Absolutely so a lot of it deals with planning, operations, intelligence, communications, the things that would normally be part of the staff structure uh, within the military, but those same structures ended up becoming uh, what I what I would call civilianized in other words, many of the things that created the efficiencies within the military because you have to be able to obviously re- respond to things that you don't know. Uh, ahead of time, very, very quickly and successfully, because needless to say, in the private sector, you might lose money. There, you might lose lives. So, it's it's it is an issue of efficiencies.
2: Wow. I uh, always, you know, it's, uh, it's always amazing how when we get people that have been in the military and, uh, you know, kind of go off and do business, how how often they're, they're successful and disciplined and focused and have all the, the characteristics that Jeff and I try to, you know, try to teach in, in our uh, partner companies and so forth. But, hey, rolling towards the book, tell me uh, what's the difference between a business valuation and value creation? Seems like they're similar words.
0: It, 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 in many ways, they are. Um... If you were to think about what value is, there's really just two components. Now, you might have a very lengthy report supporting those components. One of them is economic benefit. We understand that as investors, we buy at $10 a share, we sell at $20 a share, and we say, hey, we made 100% on our investment. then there's... That, that's growth. And then the income might be the 2% yield that you get in a publicly traded company. Now, in a private company, you're going to get most of your economic benefit through each year's profits that you distribute to yourself, either in the form of officer's compensation or distribution. Um, so the... That's the economic benefit. The second half of evaluation is risk. What is the likelihood that that economic benefit will, uh, that was in the past will also occur in the future? The operative issue there is what is that level of risk? And the risk can be converted, say, into a price multiple. So if we said that I was making a million dollars in profit a year, that I can uh, take in the form of distribution and the risk is a 5x, that means that the value is 5 times 1 million or 5 million dollars the the value creation takes it to another level it says i'm at 5x and i'm 5 million but i want it to be worth 25 million what do i have to do and that value creation is much more like being an architect instead of just reporting bench value in other words here where you're at right now you're Actually demonstrating what you would have to do in order to get from the 5 million to the 25 billion or the 25 billion to 250 million and that's a much more difficult process but it starts the conversation by saying this is where you're at right now. And why.
2: You touched on you touched on this a little earlier about when you know when you're advising entrepreneurs or when you're trying to explain to entrepreneurs the difference between where you're where you are and where you want to to be, and, and and obviously I'm kind of jumping a little bit out of um, out of kind of the, 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 the things we talked about, but you know how, how often when you tell a entrepreneur um, explain to them you know kind of the difference how often do you get pushback?
0: Well, there's one thing that's very, very common. It's very rare that you have a business owner that thinks that their business is worth less than you do. <laughs> In other words, most business owners are operating on the belief that their company is worth much more than it actually is. And so the, the the first thing is is that you have to be able to get their attention saying, but here's the reality, okay, this is what it's worth to you. And the example that you can give is a house. Okay, so if you have a house in a neighborhood and all the homes are selling for five hundred thousand, you could ask for six hundred thousand. It doesn't mean you're going to get six hundred thousand. And then, the, then the next issue that comes into play is that you're selling your home for five hundred thousand, but you need a roof replaced, and that cost to replace the roof is say fifty thousand, which means you're going to get an offer for four fifty or less because I'm going to have to replace the roof. Same thing is the notion of what the business is currently worth as is. And unfortunately, a lot of business owners look at it from, well, the potentiality is much higher. Yes, and that will be my problem after I acquire to achieve that potentiality. We only know what you're able to do as you are the operator. So the pushback is first the reality check of how the world is, not how I want it to be. And then the second one is is that sometimes there's an upfront investment of resources because there's usually gaps that causes most businesses to plateau. Most common is either at the ten million or the twenty five million dollar annual revenue level to get Above that usually means that that particular owner has met their capacity either in the way of knowledge or they just don't have any more time to be the chief uh, cook and bottle washer.
2: You perfectly described the companies that we you know, that we deal with, and I would say that you know 99 percent, 97 percent of the uh, the inbound inquiries are people are just you know they we're just we're nowhere near uh, you know, and we're more than obviously willing to help them fund that transition, but it's you know it, it's there really is that massive disconnect. And you touch about briefly in in parts of your book about, and I'm way off script here, but um, about about the, you know these baby boomers and these companies that are under five million bucks and, and, and that sort of thing and kind of you know the, the you know the 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 massive or I would use the word massive um, the difference in valuation there and I mean what and I'm way out but what what happens to those businesses those businesses that it, are go ahead
0: it, it's a great question and I'm, I'll be very very simplistic um, what it really comes down to is gratification. Um, a business owner has taken a certain level of risk that the average person wouldn't be willing to do. In other words, they're going out on their own, they're keeping their lights on, they're keeping their people paid. Uh, that's a lot different than showing up and getting your paycheck each uh, every two weeks or what, what have you. So the risk is obviously significant. And oftentimes when they first start out, they're starting off in a negative position. In other words, they don't make profit on day one. Now, it's possible that they do, but generally speaking, they don't. So a period will transpire where they finally start to see the fruits of their labor. There's a great, strong inclination to start taking that money and paying themselves back for all the sacrifice. What we usually refer that to is starving the beast. Uh, which basically means that instead of reinvesting it back in the company, they want that benefit now, which they're certainly well within their right to do so. But what they've done is they've created a job. In other words, they can pay themselves well, but they don't have something particularly attractive to the rest of the world with regards to being able to purchase it. And uh, Tom West, who writes a, a book that gets updated each year, called the business reference guide actually talks about the probability of being able to sell a business with annual revenues of 5 million or below and it's abysmal.
2: We it's uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, we we uh, we're blessed to see a lot of inbound uh, kind of wonderful little companies but you know, unless they have – anyways, you know, the, and we've, we talk about it a lot. It's just – it's tough. I mean, they're, they're great opportunities, but lots have to change. Hey, um, you, you mentioned trusted advisors or underutilized human capital asset. Um, Jeff and I, for, we sure believe that, but maybe explain why you say that.
0: Um, again, a really great question. The way that I would look at it is you start with the ones that are usually free. Everybody likes free advice as long as it's uh, worth what you paid for, Right. Um, So in the case of a commercial banker, we'll normally call on you on a regular basis, your banker as well as the competitive banker, change the conversation. Conversation, instead of being rates and terms and credit limits, ask, okay, here's the business I'm in, here's the industry I'm in, what could you tell me that I could be doing differently so I can create more value for my business? Now, they're going to have internally as a bank um, essentially how they calculate their credit box, in other words, the risk to the bank. But they will have information available to them that says, here's some things that we see as far as the profit margins of the business. Here's what we see as the cost of sales. Here's what we see, um, which is common for your industry and you're performing at above or below if you want more detail than that you probably have to start paying for that through another professional but that's a great conversation to have because it changes the dynamic instead of rates and terms it goes more to the conversation of the business owners and needs what would be a very simple example of that simple example would be is is that well we're not trying to make you change the way that you do your business, but right now you're producing half the widgets in twice the time, which means your and maintenance expense is out of whack, your labor expense is out of uh, whack, and your uh, inventory is out of whack because every time you shut down your production line, you have to take all that scrap and you've got to write it off. There's nothing that you could do. Now, if you were to use some of the bank's money, shifting that risk, and having the bank finance that new equipment, now you're producing twice the widgets in half the time, which means you, you drop your labor expense, you drop your repair and maintenance expense, and you reduce your cost of sales. Suddenly, your profitability goes from, say, 7% to 12%, and now you're operating better than the industry norm. All that conversation was absolutely free to begin. Uh, you can use insurance the same way because it's a risk management tool. They'd be more than happy to go in there and take a look from a risk management perspective. There's no cost associated with that. and They may be able to point out some things that you might want to do differently. A very simple example is you love your employees, but do you love them $50,000 a year in premiums worth because they're taking the cars home at night, which is a great liability? Is that something that you want to continue to do? And. Somebody would say, I didn't even think about that. Thank you for pointing that out. These are examples.
3: Hey, Carl, I want to jump back and uh, touch on a concept that you had mentioned earlier about entrepreneurs you know, starting to try to pay themselves back as soon as they're, they're making some money. And then you touched on the fact that they need to feed the, the animal, so to speak, that really is going to get their business to the next level. Is there some sort of threshold that you look at for you know, a core capital target that a small company needs to use as a rule of thumb?
0: It, it, it's a great question, and unfortunately I 'm going to sound like an attorney or an accountant says it depends. Uh, each industry um, it can be capital intensive or in other words, your startup costs are relatively low, so you hit a point where you're making a profit, but that tends to be a knowledge type of uh, investment. In other words, I'm writing code and I sell software, and so my, my real sunk cost is my time as opposed to starting up a restaurant. By the time I've opened the doors, I'm already in the hole by 150,000, so I'm gonna have to sell a lot of pizzas before I even get to the point where I could start servicing that debt, much less paying myself. So, to answer your question, what we would normally say is, is that there is ratios that are common for every industry as to what's referred to as working capital. And the working capital ought to be the the amount that will allow you to continue to grow at or above the industry norm. So if we say the industry norm is growth is 5% per year and you want to start growing twice that speed, you're going to have to put more money back into the business above and beyond the working capital just to sustain what it did last year. Again, that's a conversation where if you sat down with either your banker where you're an accountant, and they would be able to work that out uh, industry by industry. And if not, again, that's something, obviously, that uh, we can do. So uh, a lot of it has to do with the issue of taste. The classic example is I'm finally up to the point where I'm generating, say, $250,000 a year in profit. Well, if you're taking 225000 of that and putting it in your pocket, you're starving the beast. There's no way that you can sustain growth that way. And the real painful thing is that you can demonstrate what that looks like in five years and 20 years. So the simple way of looking at it is, okay, in the four-year period of time, you just paid yourself, say, close to a million dollars, but in five years, it's cost your business five times that. So was that a smart move or not? By the time that you're out to 20 years, it's usually 25 that, uh, in other words, the cost becomes more and more compounded because right. your growth rate isn't as good as, and the goal is
3: obviously to do better
0: than the industry. If you're just working consistent with the industry, you're not, you're not competitively positioned.
3: So what do you find the, the what, what is most frustrating to entrepreneurs based on your experience? is it is it how much not understanding that dynamic that you're talking about is it you know just the the risks get overwhelming the whole issue is overwhelming what what do you see as the biggest issue for these entrepreneurs
0: I love entrepreneurs because they they have to have a mindset that says, I'm venturing into the unknown and there's a kind of, a, it's not really a joke per se, but there's a saying, if you want to take the island, you've got to burn the ships. <laughs> um, because you got—you only got one direction, that's the go forward. Okay, so that's the beauty of the entrepreneur. The sadness that I see in entrepreneurs is one I would refer to as burnout, where they've made a lot of sacrifice. Um, some of it being the amount of time that they m- may have wished to have spent with family or do some of the other things, or they, the thinking is is that why aren't I large or why aren't I bigger? Why do I have all these concerns and headaches? Uh, a lot of it tends to be that human capital-related issue. I've got all these people that are expecting something from me. Sometimes I'm grateful for having them all, sometimes a little bit less so. People don't really appreciate what I've been going through. Where's my monetary reward for this. And that's usually where that burnout starts to occur is that they're experiencing this. I'm staying up at 2 o'clock in the morning, worrying about all these things. And in part, some of the vibrancy of what caused them to go out in the first place has to be recaptured. And the frustration is is that typically they don't know where to go To get that. They they go to the CPA, hey, you can help me. Hey, I report the news. I don't help you make the news. Some of them do, of course. Um, And and so, they need to find a way to refresh, to restart. And the typical action that we take as human beings is we try to control more as opposed to less. So there's got to be a means, an alternative thing that they do that uh, gratifies other than just the business, or or they will uh,
1: Burnout.
3: Hmm. Well, you're uh, <clears throat> you are speaking like a man of great experience. We're with our guest Carl Sheeler, managing director of Berkeley Research Group and author of Value Equity Value Enhancement: A Tool to Leverage Human and Financial Capital While Managing Risk. Uh, Carl can be found at Berkeley Research Group www.thinkbrg.com. We're going to take a quick break here on the second stage. When we come back. We're going to continue to uh, Probe the experience of uh, Dr. Carl Schieler and uh, get more actionable advice for our listeners. Thanks for tuning in to The Second Stage.
2: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv
4: today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
3: Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. You can also follow the show at hashtag TheSecondStage, that's d the 2 ND Stage, uh, and certainly uh, you can email us at TheSecondStageEvolutionCP.com. We are back here with our guest, uh, Dr. Carl Schieler, uh Managing Director of the Berkeley uh, Research Group, and uh, uh, Carl was just getting ready to explain to Brendan and I uh, how we can double the value of our businesses in the next six to 12 months. So uh, we, this is something that every private equity investor and small business owner needs to know. So we're anxiously uh, uh, awaiting the, the response.
0: No, no pressure. No pressure. Um, <laughs> the, the, the first item, which we've already touched upon, is do you have the ability to revisit the way that you're operating the business as an investor, not just the owner, employee. And the investor, their first thought is, how do I make uh, this $10 a share entity worth $20 a share? So that's going to cause you to revisit some of the expenditures that you have and also seeing what works and doesn't work as far as growing the top Line. Now, now that's quite frankly the easier part. There's plenty of professionals out there that focus on the revenues and the profitability uh, of a company. The issue is how do you get leverage? And as you were touching upon uh, before, the way that you get leverage is a you got to reduce risk. If you have a lower risk, that's a higher price multiple. So if you're at three, obviously the goal is to get to uh, five or maybe six. And there's a lot of things that are fundamental that cause the value to be lower. Um, some of it might be as, hey, I got my brother-in-law, that's preparing my financial statements. And they're not reviewed. They're not audited. And that's not going to have the same level of credibility. If I was using a larger, at least um, uh, well-known accounting firm within the geographic area that you're located, preferably regional. In the perfect world, depending on your revenue size, maybe even a national. Yeah, it's going to cost you more in thousands of dollars. But the question is, is that if we again, if we just use a simple example of five hundred thousand and your multiple is uh, three, that means it's 1500000 million. Let's say that doing that and bringing in an insurance guy to do a risk assessment uh, raises your actual price multiple from 3X to 4X. So that, That's an extra $500,000. If they're charging you, uh, and again, I'm making up the number here, but if they're charging you $25,000 all in for that additional cost, that's a 20-to-1 return on your investment. Is I don't know about you, but for every dollar you give uh, <laughs> me, I give you $20 back. Tell me when you want to stop doing that. I would think never. That's okay, right. So that, that's, a, that's a very simple example. The second one is one that I alluded to before. When you actually leverage a relationship with a bank, it's not that I'm saying that you should take on debt, but there are times where using debt does make sense because here's a, a simplistic example. If I, if I purchased a house and the house asking price was 100000 and I had to come up with $5,000, that means I'm leveraging 95000 that's how I was able to move into that house. House goes up in value the following year by uh, 5%. So it goes from 100000 to 105000 What's my return on my 5000 Pretty good. Yeah. It, it, I, pretty I got good. it back. Uh, I mean, I yeah. can't cash it out. I'm just using that as a simple example. So Neil, to say, when talking with a bank and an accountant, you start to learn how to use debt to some extent to leverage now, Not everybody's wild about that. Not everybody will actually be able to have access to that capital, which is, again, beginning of the conversation. What's this going to take? So we have to actually take several steps back and ask more of a fundamental question. Do you have a strategy in place that will get you from here to there? Typically, the strategy isn't really a strategy. It's kind of ad hoc. It's like, yeah, I talked to the account. I talked to the the uh, attorney, I talked to the banker, the insurance guy, so what did they tell you? Well, they told me different things, so what are you going to do? Nothing. Okay, that's not a strategy. Or I'm going to do my own thing. That's tactical. So the step back is saying, what is it that you want this to look like in uh, 12 months? What is it that you're willing to incur in the way of resources? Where are the gaps? So the gaps might be monetary gaps. They might be technical skill gaps. They might be time Driven, so using the 12 months as the example, if you had money, I won't say throw at the problem but if you were very well capitalized, you could say, I want to accomplish in twelve months and the response would be is okay, we gotta to talk to those individuals that don't currently have the ability to get you to where you want to go because maybe you have a controller that doesn't have any background in private capital markets. In other words, they don't know anybody that's an investment banker or a broker. Um, they They don't know the private equity space very well, who would be buying the business. You may want to have somebody come in as an interim CFO so that they can polish up uh, the company. Every one of these investments, what you're looking for is a minimum of a 20-to-1 return. Sometimes it's 100-to-1. Sometimes it's even uh, 200-to-1. But you have to have a strategy in place, and that tends to be the area where it's no man's land, it's like, oh, geez. so I'm going to have to spend $100,000 up front, and I'm not going to actually realize that until the back end? And the answer is yes, that's exactly what I'm I'm telling you. Alternatively, you can um, opt to do what's called a participation, where you have the accountant and the attorney and other individuals that are willing to do that take their compensation on the back end, but they're going to be expecting a much higher amount Because essentially, you're asking them to act as your bank, but the benefit is is that they've got skin in the game. In other words, your success becomes their success and vice versa, which is a lot different than here's my hourly rate, just pay me. By having that type of framework in place, you start to realize just how important the human capital element is because then you can go to your top clients and say, okay, if I could do something differently, what would you want uh, from my services? And you start to learn that there are things that they would have expected you to do, but you weren't able to deliver on it previously because that really wasn't your focus. You're usually going to fire your bottom 20% of some of your uh, clients that are taking up 80% of your time so you can spend more time with your better quality clients. This is a total change. That's why I say it has to start with governance. Then it goes to the, the issue of your, your relationships, reducing risk, and finally uh, knowledge, which means you're leveraging not only your knowledge and your relationships internally, but the relationships of all the other trusted advisors, the clients, the vendors, to get you from here to there. That's why it has to be driven by strategy.
2: Um, in your book, you refer, you, re, uh, you refer to the acronym, acronym uh, GRRK. Can you explain that right. one to me? Because that's a big part of uh, some of the things you talk about. Yes,
0: yes. And, and um, that, in essence, was kind of the acronym of what I just uh, explained. So the G is governance. And governance is the best way to look at that. As a lot of people think about that word, it says, okay, that's going to put me in a box. It's going to uh, cause me not to feel very entrepreneurial. And I say, uh, nothing further from the truth. What it is is it's going to set the culture to the organization, okay? Because if you got everybody rowing in the same direction and they buy off on what you're about as an organization that helps tell your story, and not just the people in the corner office, but the lowest person that's having the interaction with the clients, um, do they understand what makes your company uh, different? So it's about culture. And it's about strategy. We talked about strategy. Uh, what is the vision for three years with the vision for five years? Not just we'll sell more is not a vision. Um, how are you going to disrupt the market? What is it that you're going to be doing differently? That's the most difficult thing that most business owners, uh, confront because they, they may have gotten the, the adage of when the winds blow, even turkeys can fly. So when their first challenge in the marketplace, when there's, um, more difficulty in trying to move product or, or services, they may have to think about how they reinvent themselves so that they can take a leadership as opposed to a reactive role. So that's the, G. The uh, first R is the relationships. We kind of talked about how do you tap into some of the, the knowledge and the abilities of the people that work uh, there? What questions do you ask? How much do you empower them to actually be part of the organization? And then, of course, reaching out externally to the organization, those relationships from those trusted advisors. I gave some examples of that, relationships with your vendors, relationships with your clients being something more than just transactions. Um, It's the difference between a courtship and a one-night stand, if I could be so blunt. Um, One would like to think that most of our spouses, as a result of the courtship, as opposed to a quick transaction, we won't say anything more about that. (laughs) I'm <laughs> um, assuming that this is a G-rated show. The I'll second R it is after the rich. show.
2: I'm looking forward right. to it.
0: <laughs> He's going <laughs> to so explain
2: it to me later. After the show. Okay,
0: I will. I'll even draw your pictures if you like. <laughs> <laughs> so the second R is the one that I've been uh, trying to... Uh, uh, put the nail uh, down in the coffin, that being dealing with risks. Take a look at the business from the standpoint as if you were looking at a car that you were purchasing as previously owned. You're going to do a lot more of the due diligence that you might do than if you were just going to buy a car off the lot new because you assume that everything is supposed to be the way that it is straight off the, um, the factory uh, floor. And then the knowledge is recognizing that... You may not be the smartest guy in the room. There's no need for you to be the smartest guy in the room. You just need to be able to surround yourself with people that have their specialties and spend adequate time determining are they really good at what they do because you don't expect to suddenly become an accountant or an attorney, but there are ways to determine whether they're really good at what they do and not only based on their price. So if you got that G-R-R-K in place, or Greek is the acronym, again, Governance, Relationships, Risks, and Knowledge, you're, you're playing your game at an A-level where most people are just essentially just trying to keep their doors open. That's a huge differentiator.
3: So, Carl, we got about one minute, and I just want to ask you what a typical engagement uh, of your services w- w- would look like to a, a listener.
0: Um, The short version would be is you always get a benchmark, determine what the value uh, currently is uh, of the company. What that will do is it will differentiate from most evaluation reports is that will overemphasize the various risks that we identify and the amount of movement that could go up as a result of just addressing those risks. Those are usually uh, ordered by the easiest to address at the lowest cost to so obviously the most difficult at the highest cost. Uh, then thereafter, uh, we can come up with an action plan uh, that is executable because plan without any execution is just a plan. And then uh, the time frame and the resources, either with the existing trusted advisors and existing staff or staff that we would drop in for specific areas that perhaps uh, they don't have the uh, ecosystem to support. And then, of course, pay us.
3: We are listening to our guest, Dr. Carl Sheeler, Managing Director, of Berkeley Research Group, author of Equity Value Enhancement, a tool to leverage human and financial capital while managing risk. Uh, uh Dr. Schuler can be found at the uh, Berkeley Research Group website, www.thinkbrg.com. Uh, Carl, thank you very much for your time on uh, the second stage today. I know that Brent and I uh, are very fortunate to be in a position where we get to listen to all our shows, and we always have great guests. And, of course, this is another one of those instances. So we really appreciate your time today. And for the rest of uh, listeners out there in second stage land, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, my partner, Brent, and I will be back with our final thoughts. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
4: Assurance Tax Consulting.
1: It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune into The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: in real estate stocks annuities and other investment vehicles that's the money answer show with jordan goodman on the voice america business channel every monday at 12 p.m pacific standard time
2: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash
0: voice america
1: you are tuned into the second stage
3: Thanks for tuning in to The Second Stage, a show about small business best practices. This is Jeff Cadillac, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. Uh, our guest today was uh, Carl Sheeler, managing director, at Berkeley Research Group, and author of Equity Value Enhancement, a tool to leverage human and financial capital while managing risk. Uh, The book actually is not going to be released till December 2015. Uh, We happened to get an advanced copy uh, so we could uh, write a review, which uh, hopefully will end up uh, on the book because we we thought it was a a good read. Uh, Carl reminded us that you could uh, also get his book or pre-order it on his website, which is carl at carlsheeler.com. That's c a r l at c a r l s h e e l e r dot com. Uh, so, Brendan, what did you uh, what did you think of Doctor Carl Sheeler? Obviously,
2: you know a lot of knowledge, and I, and I wish. You know, there's so many questions and I know I say this every time, but in particular this time that I wish we would have got to. I mean, it's you know he would have been great to ask about you know how the size of a company dictates multiples and why that is, because you know and, you, and we you and I try to stress to entrepreneurs that you know if your earnings are below you know a million dollars, you know there's very few people that'll look at you know that that have a they'll look at you and for multiple reasons. I mean, you there there's, there's, you know, there's. It's hard to scale. Banks don't lend to you. A lot of the private equity world sees that there's a lot of risk, or other private, you know, and and you know the inability to hire people. And then obviously, as those companies grow in size, people perceive less risk. The banks perceive less risk. There's more leverage available, and a lot of those other things. And so a lot of those things play into value, right? And, uh, and and part of the reason why we like the market we're in. And he he really touched on, and I'm just all over the place, Jeff. But he touched on a lot of that stuff. You know, you know, about why why those companies really don't have the the smaller companies don't have the value that, that the entrepreneurs think they are or have.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's exact. I mean, there were a ton of follow-ups here, but obviously, we got to keep moving along. The show's only an hour hour long, but you know, you listen to him, and you can tell that he has spent a lot of time with small business owners. And you know, one of the things that he talked about uh, that I thought really resonated was you know the burnout aspect of it, and that you know these. I asked him about what what is the biggest frustration with entrepreneurs. I think sometimes you know it ends up being a much more awesome uh in terms of size uh, challenge than i think that they had originally envisioned and it ends up being harder than they thought and ultimately less fun than they thought um and then the other thing he talked about was getting back to that core capital target where you know he was talking about small business owners pulling money out before they um The company is ready for them to pull money out, and they ultimately can stunt the growth of their company. And over time, you know that number grows in terms of how they've maybe impeded the business's growth because they haven't uh, reinvested in the beast, as he said uh, during the show. So uh, it it was uh, it was very very interesting, and and I was. I was glad that s- there's somebody else out there focused on helping you know, small businesses because there are so many wonderful businesses out there that with just some additional uh, resources like we provided uh, Evolution Capital Partners and apparently also at the Berkeley Research Group, that that uh, we could really uh, do a lot of uh, interesting things.
2: You know, it's interesting you dig into some of the answers that he gave about you know you know about what drives value and you know the things i heard were know it's it's trust right I mean you know how good are your numbers it's transparency it's you know can people predict things that are coming down the you know down the down the pike can they see you know can they you know is it easy to understand can they can they predict it is it is it is it uh you know can they assume it's going to happen in the future and I just don't think a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners think you know are you know think that way or you know have have been have you know have been freed up to think that way and so you know, if if you kind of put on the investor's hat and say, how much would I pay for this? I mean, you know, how often, Jeff, do we hear people, you know, pitch us saying, you know, "Hey, I'm going to build it and dump it." And I'm like, well, that that's not that's not what we tr- you know we're we're trying to do here. We're trying to build it so that it's a sustainable business that keeps growing. And you know, our proudest moments are when they continue to grow. You know, long, long, long after that. You know, you and I are you know are are, are hanging out with them, and that's you know that's that's a that's a badge of uh, honor for us. I mean, because that's. Something we're trying to build. and um, you know there's some there's some great topics, and uh, you know he uh, th- we didn't get to you know kind of the, the um, you know, human capital. there's knowledge and relationships, and there's some great parts in his book that talk about that. He gets into a, a big discussion or a part of the discussion of the book talking about how uh, you know having an exit plan in the beginning is a uh, is part of you know creating a greater value and and we just, you know, again, Jeff. You know, the hundreds of people we get blessed to talk to, very few of them can can really talk about how they're going to exit the business, or you know, or or you know, kind of what that plan is.
3: Well, it's funny that you you were bringing that point up because one of. I kind of heard the recurring theme of the five pillars of business freedom really kind of throughout, you know, what he was talking about in terms of, you know, the the right people, right seats and having a a strategic plan, you know, to take your business to the next level and you know, having the right uh, having an audit, you know, as a yeah, you know, what we say is is uh, accurate and timely financial data. Uh, so there were the five pillars kind of throughout what he was talking about, which is is comforting to know that there's other people out there that see the same things that we're seeing in our businesses
2: it's uh it, it seems to be a common theme every week here on the second stage Jeff but uh, we still keep uh, pounding the t- pound the pavement pounding the table and uh, and uh, still just preaching about all about the passion for possibilities
3: well <laughs> yeah no I, uh, I I hear what you're saying and I think that uh, um, uh, we are we're we kind of we're gaining on it we're learning every week and we're gaining on it uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in to the second stage this week and you can as I said follow us on uh, Twitter the hashtag the second stage uh, that's the 2nd stage and uh, please uh, connect with us on our email uh, at the second stage at evolutioncp.com thanks for tuning in to the second stage and I uh, can't wait for next week
1: Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadillac and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.